This week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. If you just changed the dial, I want to um, welcome you to our little talk show here every Tuesday morning. And I wanted to introduce myself. I am Anna Thompson, otherwise known as AT, around the halls of New Memphis. And New Memphis is the local nonprofit behind Meanwhile in Memphis, the program you are listening to currently. We are a local leadership development nonprofit that has a full spectrum of programs, services, community engagement events, and more aimed at transforming our city through the power of connection. So as part of that, we have for you today a very exciting and different type of episode. We have Evan Mann in the studio with us. Evan is an Embark alumni, so we are excited about that, a fellow New Memphis Embark alumni. He's a storyteller, as you will soon hear. He's an artist in the medium of communication. Locally, he is the owner of a glamping business, Camped 901, but he is joining us today to share his work as an educator in Web3, which is the next era of the internet built on blockchain technologies like cryptocurrency. That's right. We have somebody, we have an expert in the studio today to kind of Break down the definitions, decode, if you will, um, blockchain and cryptocurrency, everything from Bitcoin to why it matters, what it is, the way that you could use it potentially, and the way that it will impact the future of our city, our workforce, whether that's businesses, nonprofits, you name it, we talk about it. Um, we do only have an hour, dear listener, so we kept it a little bit short, but it is chock full of great information. If you are very new to this subject, like I am, you will soon hear, but it was a great jumping off point, and there are a lot of resources that we will also put in the show notes for you. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Evan Mann. Well, welcome, Evan, to the studio. How are you this morning? I am great. Thank you so, so much for having me. I Absol- appreciate it. Absolutely. We appreciate that you um, sent us an email. We love yeah. our like some listener um, emails coming in about this exciting topic. Yeah, so, absolutely. So um, first off, you are an Embark alum. That's Correct. right. Yeah. That's right. Can you tell me a little bit? I'm also an Embark alum. Can you? Whoop, whoop. Yeah, I know. So tell me a little bit about your experience. Gosh, it makes me feel old uh, and, and feel like I've been here for a long time. I was an Embark alum in winter or spring. I'm pretty sure it was 2016. Um, okay. I don't remember the dates as well as I remember. I had a fantastic cohort of um, wonderful Memphians, a lot of whom are still here affecting change in the city. I was in a cohort with uh, Mahal Burr, who is an educator and activist over at Bridges. I was there with a guy named Milton Stewart, who's a fantastic educator, Enneagram coach, uh, Louisa Shepard, super entrepreneur. It was it was awesome. I had a great time. Um, and I, I miss a lot of the people that I don't talk to. A lot of them are, you know, doing great things. Kaylee Davis is another one doing legal over at St. Jude. Yeah. It was such a cool way. New Memphis was very much there for me. When I first got to the city in 2015, I came to a couple of the networking lunches, what's good in Memphis lunches. And uh, just right away, the team was so warm, so welcoming and said, how can we get you plugged in? 
So nothing has changed. <laughs> They're still great. You know? I love it. I yeah. love it. Um, so tell the listeners and me a little bit about yourself and your journey. You said you sure. were you were a New Memphian in 2015, and you kind of hit the ground running with Embark. So tell us about your journey over the last like seven years here in Memphis. That's right. So I'm a first career actor. And I came to Memphis after graduate school. I fell in love with the woman whose family had relocated here. And I thought this would be a great place for a guy with a master's degree who's got some work experience, who probably won't do a lot of acting work because there's not a lot in Memphis, um, to get a a real job, Ah. um, a corporate job, pay off some debt, save some money, that kind of thing. As you do. Yeah, the sensible choice. You know, one opportunity (laughs) just kind of led to another. I was working, working, working. and the relationship ended, but I made so many more wonderful friends and just had opportunities. And I, I like it here, so I, I just decided to stay. Um, a year ago, I became an entrepreneur when I left my job to launch a business called Camped 901. Right. It's I saw a, that. So tell a, us about that. It's like a direct-to-you glamping business. If you search glamping in Instagram, you'll see all these you know, luxury canvas tents, cutesy lights. The thing that we do is not just overnight glamping. Really, we, we create spaces for connection so that you and your loved ones can get away from it all without ever leaving home kind of thing. I love it. Um, and around that same time, I also co-founded with some friends, a cryptocurrency education business. And I got to tell you, the the crypto business has been so busy that the glamping business has really gotten the short end of my stick. So if there's somebody out there listening who is a super administrator and wants to help run a glamping empire, call me because we need you. I love it. A little PSA. Yeah. Yeah, So I can go focus on educating people and, and helping them protect themselves and leverage the opportunities that blockchain will provide. That's really where I am passionate right now when I wake up in the morning. Okay, so tell me, can you do a few definitions for some listeners, myself included, who are a little confused about all of this and this whole sector and what everything means? So when you say cryptocurrency. Yeah, really, the conversation we need to have is to go back to framing first and understand that every digital technology innovation, like not a spoon, that's analog technology, but like (laughs) digital, like your cell phone, usually stems from solving the oldest problem, a communication problem. There are unique thoughts in your head and unique feelings in your heart that you want to put in my head and my heart, but there's all this static between us. The greatest invention we've we've come up with to solve the static is, is words, symbols that help us to understand what is meant by sounds like Christmas tree or river. When I say that, I can guarantee with a pretty high degree of accuracy that you'll receive my meaning and understand. Yeah. Uh, money is another such symbol that removes a lot of friction when people are communicating. If I have a $10 bill and everybody understands what it means, we can have price tags and I can go in a store and buy a shirt without having to barter and negotiate with you. So the internet is one such invention that allows people to communicate without friction, regardless of distance, regardless of language, space, and time. Right. The internet has always existed, but it's helpful to think of it in three phases. The first phase, we call it Web 1, is the, the days when it was just a military, just a college thing, all the way up through, like, you've got mail. <laughs> it was a, a wide open place where anybody could go, but you had to have a lot of knowledge to get there. And once you got there, there was just, there was nothing to do. Yeah. Um, you could was, go, but... <laughs> you could go, and it was permissionless, largely. You could do what you wanted. You could run a server. You could run a chat room. But then we got 
all of this attention from platforms and businesses who ushered in a new era that we call Web 2. Okay. This is the era of MySpace, of Facebook, of Shopify, of eBay. There's so much more to do on the internet. You can read things, you can write things, you can sell things, but you don't really own anything. For example, I have about 40,000 followers on TikTok, the social media platform. Yeah. When I go to Twitter and start a new account, I got to start from scratch, from zero. If Twitter doesn't like what I post, they can deplatform me. They own my following. If I forget my email password stuff, uh, it's easy to reset it because they've got it stored in a server somewhere and they're selling it to someone to make a profit, largely without my permission. Yeah. So web one is read only, web two is read write, web three, which is a catch-all term for cryptocurrency, blockchain, NFT technology, enables a new era of the internet where people can not only read what's there, not only participate in writing what's there, but they are able to own it and it will automatically execute itself. When Google was founded, they had a, a saying in their mission statement that said, don't be evil. <laughs> the idea was don't program something that people won't want to trust. But Web3, crypto, NFTs, the ethos is can't be evil. Everything is run by code that executes itself. You don't have to trust somebody the way you don't have to trust a calculator when you're doing math. Okay, you just know, it just is. It's right. just going to produce. If somebody programmed it maliciously, but then again, we would all recognize if it had been programmed maliciously and we'd say, hey, calculator company, you got to fix this. Yeah. Right? So, so that's the necessary requisite conversation we have to have to talk about crypto, all those things. <clears throat> the next thing I will say to you is it's important to understand that currency is a very small part of what blockchain technology will enable. Um, right now, the narrative is largely about speculation. Invest in this and you'll get rich. You'll buy uh, a Lambo, you'll go to the moon, you know, Dogecoin, Shiba, whatever. It's all about currencies. But blockchain technology enables people, like I said, to, to, to really own their presence online. Um, until now, everything on the internet has largely existed as a copy. It's very uh, difficult sometimes to prove what you own online. And even in the real world, it's very difficult to prove what you own. Um, and there are things that are valuable only because you can prove they are authentic. For example, the Mona Lisa is a hundred million dollar painting. But if I get a print of the Mona Lisa that looks the same and, and even has the little paint marks on the canvas, it, it doesn't matter because it's not the real one. And in fact, there are probably only about 12 people in the world who have the credentials to verify that the Mona Lisa is the Mona Lisa. You got to fly them over to the Louvre from Italy. They got to spend 72 hours with the painting. They might damage it. And even then, a convincing fake could fool them. Mm -hmm. NFTs, for example, enable anyone to instantly, errorlessly verify the authenticity of any asset they are attached to. Think of how valuable that would be if you didn't need Giuseppe to come from Italy and check the Mona Lisa. If you could just look at the record on a ledger and see that it was real. And I know you asked for definitions. I'm going I'm to get into that. I, I had to give say, you the, I'm still the secret so sauce. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so Web three, the the tech, the backbone of the technology is something called a blockchain, which is a ledger like your checkbook. 
Okay. It records transactions that members of the network use. I say members of the network. It's like a checkbook that you would share with your friends. Right now, when you make a transaction in your checkbook, you write it down. When the page gets full, you go to the next page. A blockchain is just a record of transactions where each transaction is verified against the record to see, for example, do I have the money in my account to execute this purchase or this transfer? Okay. And there is something called a smart contract which governs the ledger. It's like that calculator that automatically does math for you. It is never asleep. It is code that executes itself. It cannot be bribed like how, your though? bank teller. How? How can it not be bribed? I don't how can that, it not be bribed? That, I feel can, like you maybe, bribe, can you bribe a calculator? No, but I'm so distrustful, I feel like, of technology in this current landscape that sure. I it's hard for me to understand that something could be foolproof like this. That's fair. So imagine, let, let's let's just take a piece of code. There's a piece of code that exists. Okay. And you're not a coder, but there are lots and lots of people who can code in the world. Yes. These smart contracts that govern blockchains are public. They're open sourced. All of them are. Okay. You could write one that's closed source, but people would not be incentivized to use it because they'd say, who's programming this code? I can't see its brain. What is it thinking? Why should I trust it? Anybody anywhere can look at, for example, the code that runs the Bitcoin network or a smart contract on the Ethereum network. For listeners who don't know, these are blockchain networks. Anybody anywhere can go look at this. And even if someone like you or I don't have the requisite knowledge to know, is it working the way we think it is? Yeah. It's very simple. I say very simple. (laughs) There's a little requisite knowledge, but it's largely quite simple for anybody to become a member of the network and test that smart contract themselves. And there are enough users on the network that it's not just going to... One of the great things about a blockchain is that the users of the network secure the network. I said it was like a checkbook, but it's also like a bank vault that exists in 10,000 places. I'll use an example of the Bitcoin network. Right now, um, if you want to go rob a bank, you got to dupe one security guard, wait till he's asleep, wait till he goes home, put your little Mission Impossible picture in front of the camera, break into a single vault, pick up the physical money, put it in your bag, and walk out with it. Not that easy, but also, like, people do it. Yeah. (laughs) Now, if you want to break into the blockchain, first of all, it's all digital, the Bitcoin doesn't physically exist anywhere. So it's not like you can just break it up. You can't just scoop it up. It's not going to deteriorate over time. There's no one security guard and there's no one bank vault. Every person who has a copy of the blockchain ledger, there are tens of thousands of them, is validating the network. If somebody comes into the network with the intent to change the code or change the ledger and give themselves a million Bitcoin, Every single one of those nodes acts like a security camera and a security guard watching the vault. They're going to say, this newcomer is trying to do something they don't have permission to do. And before they can even execute it, they'll stop it. It it just won't go through. The same way a calculator will return an error message if you try to do a function it's not programmed to execute. Okay. And the only way somebody could do it, it could carry out attack. They call it, they call it a 51% attack. You would have to compromise a majority of those nodes, computers that exist all over the world. And I mean, it would be like having to break break into 5,000 bank vaults concurrently. It's possible, but it's highly unlikely. Okay. 
I know I've given you a lot right now. I know. I'm like, I'm still trying to digest it a well, little and bit. I, I wonder if I could give you just one or two things more. It's sort of a, it's sort of a lecture and I apologize for okay. that, but I want to help get to a place where the thing about cryptocurrency, the thing about NFTs, Web3 is it's hard to find good information and it's hard to know even what questions to ask. And we need to get through a couple definitions so we can get to what's important, which is why does this matter to me? A yeah. grandma or a teacher or a kid. And how's it, how's it going to affect our city? What does that matter? Yeah. That's exactly right. So, so this ledger is secure, it's efficient, and it enables the creation of tokens and non-fungible tokens, NFTs. I want to get into that terminology now because that's going to help people understand why it matters to them. Earlier I said uh, uh, to, to understand an NFT, non-fungible token, you need to understand the word fungible which you already understand. Fungible means exchangeable. Think about a dollar bill. Yeah. If I have a dollar bill, it doesn't matter if mine is crispy or dirty. It doesn't really matter what serial numbers on it or if yours is like super fresh from the mint. They all can be swapped for one another. They all are worth the same thing. They yeah. are fungible, exchangeable. Bitcoin is a token that is fungible. Nobody cares which Bitcoin you have. They're all worth the same. Okay. A non-fungible token is provably unique in a way that changes its value. For example, the Mona Lisa yeah. or a dollar bill signed by Elvis Presley. Now, the problem with those things is, again, it's hard to verify their authenticity. An NFT is a digital thing. It doesn't physically exist. It's created when somebody initiates a record on a blockchain that, again, anyone can look at this blockchain record, it's public, and instantly errorlessly tell who created that NFT, when they created it, what asset it points to, for example, a dollar bill signed by Elvis Presley or a digital picture or the deed to your house. Or a mural. I feel like I've seen a lot of murals around town that have this. You can attach an NFT to any asset and it allows you effortless certainty that that asset is authentic and it tells you who owns it. So if, for example, a lot of people know NFTs as like digital pictures. They see these digital pictures. Jimmy Fallon bought a bored ape picture. They, they are conflating, and it's largely my peers' fault. We, we are not talking about it well. People are conflating NFTs with art. But it's important to yeah. understand that NFTs are not art. They are a medium. The same way you can use a piece of paper for a painting or a poem or fold it into origami or as the coaster of your coffee cup, NFTs can be used as a medium for identity, for storytelling. And again, they can be made to point to any asset. It's like a receipt, but cannot deteriorate. It cannot be forged. It cannot be altered over time. Um, And that's why (laughs) this is, this is now we're getting into the, the why does it matter to Memphians? Imagine if, well, I'll do you one better. I'll tell you a story. (laughs) Oh, good. In 2015, when I moved to Memphis, I was hungry. Okay. I was so hungry and I just didn't have a lot of money to eat. So every day at about 2 p.m. when the lunch rush was over, I'd walk down the street to Mickey D's and I would walk up to the trash can and right on top, there were all these clean fresh receipts. And that was about the time they started printing at the top, fill out the survey and get a free sandwich of your choice. It wasn't even like a sandwich with purchase. It was just like a go online, fill out a survey. You get a sandwich absolutely for free. And I would sit there and I would fill out these receipts and I would eat Big Macs till the cows came home. That's how I fed myself that (laughs) summer. 
And uh, I'm pretty sure I am the reason that the COO of McDonald's said, we got to implement a with purchase on this receipt stat because somewhere in Memphis, they are milking us. So <laughs> if those receipts were NFTs, if every time you made a purchase at McDonald's, they created your receipt on a blockchain ledger, what would happen is they wouldn't all live on top of the trash can for some guy like me to pick up and exploit. If I picked up a receipt from the trash can and took it to them, they wouldn't look at, does it look like an official receipt? They'd pull up the blockchain ledger on their smartphone or they'd you know, scan the receipt linked to a blockchain ledger and it would immediately show that though this looked identical to their NFT receipt, it was not in fact recorded on the blockchain and was therefore inauthentic and they didn't know me a darn hamburger at all. That's important when we think about things like your identity. Lots of people's social security numbers are compromised by folks who learn the number, call Verizon Wireless and say, yeah, my social security number is 12345678. Imagine a system where instead of just providing the number, we were scanning an NFT that pointed to your social security number, a record that could not be compromised, a record that could not be forged, that could not be impersonated. Okay. The way a social security number can be impersonated to someone, you know, I can relay it. Yeah, as or a if credit card number, my, whatever, right. or whatever personal information that That's is. That's exactly right. And if these things were protected that way, it, it goes as far as, um, you know, the deed to your house. Anything that it would be valuable to prove you own would be valuable to have in a record on a blockchain. Another example that would be important to folks like, you know, here in our fair city would be. Um, NFTs are also great. The way a calculator is great for math, NFTs, they collect payment, they verify information, and with a smart contract that facilitates their transfer, they can swap information from place to place automatically in their sleep. They don't need us to help them do it. Right now, thousands of companies pay millions of people billions of dollars to do those jobs. Think about the teller at your bank or the cashier at your grocery store. They need breaks, they get tired, they can be bribed. The bank closes at night and on weekends, right? And in the middle of all those transactions, there is somebody taking your money, updating a ledger, and they're doing it with an iffy degree of efficiency and accuracy. NFTs and smart contracts will replace people in every one of those jobs where a computer can do it faster. And that's not a, a cause for concern. I was about to say, now I'm concerned for our workforce. <laughs> that's not a cause for concern. I would be willing to bet that most people who do those kinds of jobs, if they enjoy them, they can find uh, the, that an NFT would do that job for you the way a calculator would do math. Just because there are calculators doesn't mean we don't have mathematicians. It just means that mathematicians have to spend less time doing menial things. It will enable us to allow computers to do what computers do well, which will free humans to do what humans do well. Greet people as they walk into the bank. Um, ensure that people have delightful experiences. Create programs that help the computer do math more efficiently. Um, it will enable a new world of possibility very much. And, and I, I, I've been talking a lot, so I want to give you your questions, no, but you're I, fine. I honestly could, could, there, there are many examples that are relevant to Memphians and I have a couple of other thoughts prepared, but, but yes, take a second, let me know where it's hitting you and let me know where it's not because learning this stuff can be like drinking from a fire hose. And I find the best way to learn it is to hear a conversation where somebody is not talking too technically about it. 
and give someone else a chance to say, but what about this? What about this? What about this? So give me your what about. Okay. So I do have a ton of questions, Um, but I'm most intrigued. Like I am curious about, because I came into this conversation, like basically completely blind. I've, yes, I've heard the terms. Yes. I know headlines here and there, (laughs) but I don't have a practical daily use for this in my life. So I'm curious one as an Embark alum, why you submitted this as a listener, as as a topic that our community should know about and should know more about. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of our alum are involved with public goods, involved with cause-based organizations, and blockchain will revolutionize the way people support organizations they care about. You know, I'm always reading that philanthropic report that says Memphians are the most charitable or the second most charitable. You know, we're so competitive. I love it. I love that we do so much good. Uh, Let's talk about an example of how blockchain will help us do good, our Embark alumni. We have a lot of friends who work at uh, places like ALSAC, for example. Mm Mm-hmm. Have you been to, I think it's the Danny Thomas building, I always get the buildings confused, um, where they've got that wonderful, tall atrium lobby, and they've got a big donor wall. It's probably 50 feet high. Have you seen that? Yes, I think I have. Okay, so it's got all these bricks that are artfully assembled in a mosaic that have people's names on them that have donated to the hospital. Okay. And the bigger your brick is, the more money you've given. It's a pretty standard concept in nonprofit. Now, here's the problem. Let's just pretend that Uh, people donated, everyone on that wall donated collectively a million dollars. Well, that wall, it cost $500,000 to make. You had to hire somebody to buy the bricks, to engrave the bricks, to assemble the bricks, and you gotta have this space in this building that is air-conditioned, that is humidified, that is secured. A guard watches it, you lock it up at night. There are all these costs with maintaining this wall that people just wanted to give money to the organization that they care about that's saving kids' lives. Wouldn't it be better If we had a way to recognize donors that didn't cost so much money but was just as meaningful and and maybe even enabled more folks to give, imagine this. Us and nonprofits, now now our ears are perking up. Now we're like, okay, how, how do we get more donations? How do we get more people to give? Imagine that instead of building a donor wall, which is limited by space, which not everybody who donates in the world can visit, imagine we created an NFT collection. Let's say we took some of those wonderful pictures of patient art that those children drew and we created what we would call an open edition, meaning there's probably only space for a thousand bricks on that wall. On the blockchain, you can mint whatever you want. It's an open edition and we say anybody can give any amount to own their part of our story this season and receive one of these beautiful collectible pieces of art. And if you give $5, that's what you get. We're so grateful to you. If you give $500 million, (laughs) then your piece of art is, you know, gold plated and your NFT also points to an audio message of Rick Shadiak saying, I really want to thank you so much for what you did for us. (laughs) And it also entitles you to come to a dinner with Dr. Downing later this year. NFTs can do all of that. Now what we've done is we've created a donor wall on the blockchain that can be displayed at St. Jude's website that they could build a physical replica of, but that doesn't cost anything to maintain, that more people have been able to contribute to. And the best part is, we have created a relationship with these donors 
the people who gave a brick on that wall, what'd you get their email address? Maybe you got their phone number if they're a big high ticket donor. But when you get someone's address on the blockchain, that's like getting their home address, but like in a non-invasive creepy way. I was about to say, you said it wasn't creepy. (laughs) At any time in the future, I can go into that record on the blockchain and I can say, oh my gosh, you know, every year we do this donor wall. And every year, Anna has donated $1,000. She's somebody I want to get in touch with and learn more about. And I'm going to create a special NFT for people like Anna who've been repeat donors where I send them a new digital asset that maybe entitles them to come to a dinner next time they're in Memphis or that invites them just to share in this special collector's club. You give in $1,000 every year. Here's a collectible NFT that you can sell if you want to someone else, because it's a collectible, that will earn you money, that will generate royalties for St. Jude perpetually forever, that won't cost us anything to maintain, and will allow us to spread our story even further. I think about the programs, St. Jude is such a good example, they have a program called Play Live for gamers. Um, And they do a lot of gifts for these gamers at different charity events. I can imagine a world where instead of dropping them a box of gifts that, you know, they might eventually deteriorate or whatever, what if they airdropped them a limited collection of a thousand NFTs? Let's use that beautiful patient art again. And it says play live 2022 on it. And gamers love collectible stuff. Let's say a hundred of those NFTs have a silver border and five of them are one for one, totally visually unique pieces of art. And they're like holographic trading cards. The gamers who get all those things airdrop to them for free. Those people who got the special ones are going to say to their buddies, Hey man, you want to buy mine for 10 bucks? And like, why does St. Jude care about making this guy 10 bucks? They don't accept that that guy's going to pay 10 bucks for it. And St. Jude will earn a royalty. It's in the smart contract. And then his friend is going to say, wow, it's worth 10 bucks. I bet I can sell it for 20. And then they're going to buy it again and again and again. And every time it's sold, without Rick Shadyak having to do a single thing, the smart contract will collect royalties for St. Jude without error, in perpetuity, forever. Some NFT collections have generated hundreds of millions of dollars in secondary sales and royalties. It's a huge market. And it requires you to do nothing. It's automatic. Okay, so I have I like this example a lot because it it helps my brain like wrap around this concept that feels like a totally different language to me. But I'm curious, so if that is the future of businesses, nonprofits, whatever it is, how does that affect our local economy differently? Like where's the money going if it is national or this I'm a little confused. Sure, <laughs> but it- how we're keeping yeah. Well, if, if St. Jude sells a T-shirt, St. Jude has to pay for the creation of the T-shirt. They pay a vendor. But then they receive revenue on the sale of the T-shirt. Similarly, if I want to create an NFT collection, they might pay a contractor if they don't have someone in-house who can create the NFTs on a blockchain. Yeah. But then it's theirs to do with what they wish. Um, and so when it is sold, they receive the revenue from it. Um, I'm confused as to, like, why, other than them making money, like, wouldn't that take away from our local economy about people wanting to come to visually see a physical wall? Well, think about this. The people who have the ability to come to Memphis and see that wall, that's a pretty small group of people. St. Jude has a global donor base. People from all over the world donate. 
And somebody who lives in Thailand is not going to be as incentivized by, look at this great shiny brick. Maybe they will. Maybe some people will get a picture of it and they'll be like, wow. But the same effect could be achieved by an NFT collection on the blockchain. By saying 100% of your donation actually does what it says it's doing, yeah, as opposed to X number to, on the dollar. You didn't have to get on a plane and harm the environment and you know do all these things that cost energy, time, and money to enjoy your gift. Um, okay. And in terms of the local economy, NFTs aren't the only Web3 solution that can empower local economies. Right now, in the country of El Salvador, mm-hmm. The currency Bitcoin is legal tender. They, they did this because in El Salvador, their currency is highly inflated. There was a lot of corruption. Um, like our own country, there are a few people who are in control of that currency and determine how much gets printed every year. I don't know if your listeners know this, but um, in the last 12 months, more dollar bills in the U.S. were printed than at any point previously in our nation's history. Like all the time the dollar has existed, we've printed more of them in that last couple months time. And only a handful of people get to control that decision. In a country like El Salvador, that has gone to the extreme. It's gone on for a very long time. You gotta have a wheelbarrow of their money to buy stuff. So they made Bitcoin legal tender. Here are the advantages to their local population and to any local population. All of a sudden, if everybody has a digital wallet You don't got to go to the bank, wait till they're open. You don't got to pay Western Union a fee to transfer your money. You just, as the government, say, I want to send Bitcoin to these addresses. And instantly, they've got it in their own wallet. And if it's accepted everywhere, they can spend it without an intermediary, without somebody taking a fee, without the network going down. Now, imagine if instead of Bitcoin, this has happened in a couple of places like Miami, we created a Memphis token. Let's say you bought it with dollar bills and every dollar you bought a Memphis token with went into the pool that gives value to Memphis token. Local businesses could offer a discount to people who paid in Memphis token. Folks who came to our city could choose to invest in us by investing in Memphis token. And everybody who used Memphis token would make the token more valuable. It could support things in our city like uh, you know construction, like um, scholarship. And it would be governed by the people who participated in the network. Um, Right now, there are people in our city who have more dollar bills. And unfortunately, the way the world works is that people with more dollars have a louder voice. Imagine if Mayor Strickland decided to airdrop, meaning automatically send to someone's wallet, Memphis coins. Every Memphian gets 100 of them. And as people add liquidity to it, what we're creating is an egalitarian economic system where my Memphis coins and your Memphis coins rise in value together. They can be used not just for money. They could be used for governance, where everybody who has a Memphis coin gets a vote in our local economy. And if you do good things, let's say for every hour of volunteering, you get another Memphis coin. Because we believe that people who are doing the most to benefit our city should have the loudest voice. Or the people who've been marginalized by particular circumstances, or people who are the most educated, whatever you want. Tokens will do so much more than currency, fungible and non-fungible tokens. In fact, there are many countries exploring, this is a hot take, I won't get into it, but there are many countries exploring um, the advantages of using a blockchain, this immutable ledger that cannot be altered for voting for elections. Um, Indeed, it's happened in Honduras, it's happened in the Philippines, it's happened in Russia. I don't believe it'll probably happen in places like the U.S. where our infrastructure is very entrenched um, until it's successful other places. Think about it, any industry, the incumbents have 
a vested interest in preserving the way things are. Right. You, know, you wouldn't just if if Elon Musk invented a flying car tomorrow, we wouldn't just tear up the highways. You know that would be, <laughs> that would be terrible. But in countries where they don't have highways, if a flying car came out, they would sort of leapfrog us and adopt it first. We'd see the benefits, and then we'd be like, oh, we should we should get into that. I think the same thing will happen with city coins or with blockchain elections or blockchain philanthropy. Um, it's here. We're working on it. We're trying to tell a better story than buy this expensive JPEG. Um, <laughs> but my peers are, you know, you know, a lot of people are blinded by the money, blinded by the speculative value of it. Okay. Um, I'm curious about access. When you said, sure. um, like if everybody had a digital wallet, what yeah. if everybody doesn't have a digital wallet? That's a great question. Right now it's hard because they don't. And there are a lot of other barriers to entry, but I think about it like your computer. Okay. Or like websites. If you went back to 1990 and told a florist in Memphis, one day you're going to have to have a website, they'd have looked at you like you were crazy. Only the government has websites. Only colleges have websites. Or what is a website? But now if you're a florist in Memphis and you don't have a website, you don't really exist on the internet. You've got to have a Facebook page and an Instagram. In the not-too-distant future, tokens will be like websites. And just like websites and computers evolved in ease of use, it will be a largely frictionless experience to own digital things like cryptocurrency and NFTs. Right now, if somebody wants to get involved, they can download a digital wallet, which is a misnomer. They think, oh, my wallet, that's where my money is. <laughs> no, your money, your cryptocurrency, none of that physically exists. It's totally digital. A wallet is a device that stores what's called your key, your public and private key. It is an encrypted key. That's where we get the word crypto okay. and cri cryptocurrency. Let's see, I see. It's an Picking encrypted it key that allows you to access that ledger we talked about that stores the data where the Bitcoin is or where mm -hmm. the NFT is. It's, it's the data that your key allows you to access. So um, there are lots of places that you can get digital wallets. It's, it's a frictioned experience right now. El Salvador did an incredible thing. When they decided they wanted to make Bitcoin legal tender, they hired a company to help them create campaigns to roll out wallets to all their people. They have about 5 million citizens. And within about 90 days, 4 million of them had digital wallets. And, you know, this is El Salvador, a country where literacy rates are not high, where the population is, you know, very diversely skilled in terms of technology. A lot of them don't have, you know, smart devices, et cetera. So, and they, were, they achieved just an incredible rate of adoption. So I very much believe we can do it, but that it, a part of it is going to be about helping people understand why it matters to them and then also making it safe. Because right now, in addition to what the heck is this technology and why does it matter, most people are very concerned because they're hearing about a lot of scams, a lot of schemes. Um, and I want to emphasize for your listeners that, that it is kind of a dangerous, difficult time to get in, as it is when there is any new technology. But it does not mean that, that crypto or NFTs are a scam. Um, they're, they're, they're definitely not a scam, but there are people who will leverage their knowledge against you to scam you. So please, you know, be, be careful. Um, and if it's something you want to learn about, I, I would say um, one of the resources I would recommend, there's a, a website called Coinbase.com. Coinbase is a company that's kind of like a Wikipedia of crypto. Um, they have digital wallets that people can download for free. 
You don't have to spend any money. You don't have to buy any cryptocurrencies or NFTs. And they have a program called Learn to Earn, where you can learn about cryptocurrencies and they will send you tokens. Um, absolutely risk-free way to start collecting digital assets and experience what it's like to use them, to be a custodian of your digital data, of your digital wallet, to practice security and get to know the technology as it becomes more user-friendly. Where in your mind does Memphis stand in the nationwide adoption of cryptocurrency and NFTs? Um, this is not an area where we're leading, though we have many people in our city who are actively working to bring more opportunities to experience Web3 tech, why it matters to life. Uh, you mentioned a mural. My friend Sardar Umarov and his family own the exchange building here downtown where you can see a mural by the artist Birdcap. They have embedded funds in that mural, which I, by which I mean, don't, don't dig it up. It's not, there's not money behind the picture. I was about to say. But they have, they have created an NFT that represents that mural, a digital asset that is its replica on the blockchain. And they have vested it with a, a particular amount of money that they are donating over a period of time to St. Jude. They're encouraging people to scan the mural, to participate in sharing the story, and they're giving money commensurate with that experience. Um, People in Memphis right now, we're largely at the education phase. Okay. Um, I would say global leaders, uh, Miami is the global leader right now. In terms of cities, they have their own token, Miami token, that the citizens are using and benefiting from, much the way I described yeah, in that hypothetical Memphis scenario. Token, yeah. um, their mayor is very crypto-friendly. And I would say for Memphians, I think it's incumbent upon uh, folks like me who are working in this area to do more. My colleagues work globally. And we tend to have a very digital focus. We're online a lot. Yeah. Um, but I'm really committed to working with more Memphians to helping them understand why this matters to them. And people at all levels of experience, you know, super nerdy techie developers and your grandma who just heard about Bitcoin for the first time. Me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you <laughs> I know, fall on that side of the so spectrum. So <laughs> I, would, I would call out, you know, friends at, uh, you know, I'm trying to talk to the folks at Crosstown Arts. I would love to host an event that is artist focused to help artists understand how they can protect their work with NFTs or reach a broader audience with NFTs. I would love to talk to people in our government. Uh, our local government. I would love to talk to more people in nonprofit about how blockchain. Here, here's a stat for you. Did you know the average donation made in cryptocurrency is 82% larger than the average donation made in U.S. dollars? And the age of the average donor who gives in cryptocurrency tops out at 45 versus the average age of 65 for donors that give in U.S. dollars. Every nonprofit wants to know how can we get better donors in terms of younger donors or more generous donors. Um, there are so many ways, and not just by enabling your organization to accept cryptocurrency, but to natively use cryptocurrency. It's not going to look like selling cutesy JPEGs like you may be led to believe by the hype in the media. Um, <laughs> There's this term, it's called scaleomorphism. It's the idea that when a new technology is invented, we use it first to do old things. For example, when the film camera was invented, it was decades before they invented the close-up. They used to sit a camera in the back of a theater where a play was being performed, and they'd just do one take, one angle, for years. But the close-up is a native two-film tool. It is not scaleomorphic. You can only tell a story with a close-up on video. Similarly, there will be ways to use NFT technology that are inaccessible to any other medium. And that's the kind of thing I'm interested in helping people in Memphis understand. Once we get past the hype, the get-rich-quick, the scams, the schemes, the JPEGs, to see that 
in five years, crypto will be so much more than currency. NFTs will be more than digital art. The way that your cell phone does so much more than just make a phone call. Um, what challenges do you think are unique to Memphis in either education or adoption of cryptocurrency? I don't know if these are unique to Memphis, but I observe in Memphis as a few challenges and opportunities. Strengths and weaknesses. Okay. Let's hear them. The challenge would be that we have we have a lot of unfairly distributed resources in terms of access, in terms of education, in terms of wealth, monetary wealth, but also other forms of wealth like health, social capital. Mm-hmm. And that is a challenge. It is not unique to our city, but it is something that we must address if we are going to continue to evolve and, and walk into the future. The, the financial revolution does not look like a couple of folks with access pushing others down to get more air. It looks like all of us reaching down to the person below and reaching up to the person above us and climbing higher together. Um, that is sustainable. That is regenerative. What I see in Memphis that is an advantage is an indomitable spirit mm. that people have an opportunity to harness that spirit at any level. Cause we are kind of a small city. It's not hard to walk from one place to another and tell your neighbor, I'd like to help you make a difference. And for them to turn to you and say, let's do it together. Um, and for two people who roll up their sleeves to attract more workers and to have a bigger impact. I think that Cryptocurrency, NFTs, blockchain is very much a system that benefits those people, that benefits in an egalitarian way um, people. Um, You don't have to have, for the first time in history, a lot of money or a lot of power to access and start learning about this technology and to benefit from it. And that will only get better over time. So I think Memphis has a real opportunity to rise up. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, So what kind of current options are on the table for somebody who is very new to cryptocurrency? Okay, I would definitely suggest check out coinbase.com, for mm-hmm. example. Um, people, people always want to know when they find out I'm involved in crypto. As soon as they find out, they say, oh, I've got $1,000. What should I invest in? And for a long time, I didn't like to answer that question. A lot of people in our space will say, will give advice, and they'll always disclaim it with the phrase, not financial. This is not financial advice, but if I was you, I would buy this. Or do your own research, but if I was you, I'd buy this. And for a long time, I didn't say that because I never wanted to say anything uh, that required a disclaimer. Or that was, you know, I I want people to trust me. I never want them to think I'm selling them something. Right. However, I have the best answer to that question. I have really worked at this. And this is absolutely financial advice. (laughs) Absolutely. If you have $1,000, what I want you to do is make sure that $1,000 is in a currency that you can touch, like dollar bills. I want you to get a safety deposit box from Walmart and put it inside. Conversely, you can put it in your freezer. You can put it under your mattress. You can put it in a savings account at the bank. And then I don't want you to touch it. And this is critical. For at least six months, then I want you to find more people like me, people who are curious about cryptocurrency, who are not trying to sell you anything. And I want you to spend a couple minutes every day, five minutes, having conversations with them. You can find them wherever you get your news online, whether that's Twitter, whether that's podcasts, whether that's Discord, whether that's Facebook. You will know them because they are curious. 
They are not necessarily the smartest people in the room, and they're not trying, again, to sell you anything. Um, they will not tell you what to buy, but they'll just help you learn and grow. You can spend 24 hours a day learning about this stuff, but the second you get in a room with other people who are also learning, you accelerate your learning journey. Some people will be interested in the tech side. Some people will be interested in the money side. Some people will be interested in the community side, and all of you will learn and grow together. Then six months later, take the money out of your freezer, out of your safety deposit box, out from underneath your mattress or in your bank, and if you still wish to invest it at that point, whatever decision you make will be better than anything I could tell you right now. Places to learn. Coinbase.com is a good place to start. Okay. Coindesk is a good place to get news. Twitter is a great place to learn, and I would encourage anybody who is on social media to come to my platform if you have questions. I post a lot of content on my platform. It's Conversations with Evan. That's my handle on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter. I'm Evan underscore man, and you can ask me anything, anytime. I host a radio show every Saturday called Crypto Radio Network that you can stream anywhere you get your podcasts. It's also live streaming on multiformat.net, but you can check it out at CryptoRadioNetwork.io. Our whole thing is to give the millions of Americans who listen to radio every day a safe, soft landing point, people they can trust, helpful information. We're not going to talk down to you. We're not going to talk over your heads. Um, and you can come and learn. I also host a podcast that has uh, just been released. It's called Rising Up where we, uh, my colleagues and I, talk to some of our friends in the wild and wonderful world of cryptocurrency to go beyond the Lambos and the you know, get-rich-quick and, and help you feel like you're right there with us having a front seat building the future. Are some good resources to get started, but of course, you know, I would welcome anyone to just uh, get in touch with me, and I'm, I'm happy to point you in the right direction. I love that. So I have two more questions. So one is, what would you hope that the average Memphian knows about cryptocurrency as a result of our conversation today? The most important thing I want to impress on your listeners is that crypto is about so much more than currency. The people who are looking at this as a way to get rich quick, as a speculative thing, it's like a finger pointing to the moon. They're going to miss all the heavenly glory. There is... So there is so much money here. There is so much wealth here that money is the smallest part of it. Um, I often say that truly wealthy people make kindness their currency. Mm. And if you are a kind person, it doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. You can come to this community. You don't have to be a Wall Street person in a suit. You don't have to look like me and have white skin and blue eyes and straight teeth. You can be anybody. In fact, I was at a party, a cryptocurrency party, where there was a lot of money in the room. And there was a, a gentleman who was probably about 60 years old, white guy, black suit, real crisp, looks like he came from central casting for Wolf of Wall Street or something. And he looked uncomfortable because around the room there were folks like me and they're like ratty knitted hats and they're like worn out jeans and just, just oddball people speaking all kinds of languages, all ages. And you could tell this fellow felt like, uh, you know, where's the money? And the money was everywhere. And it was the smallest part of the wealth. So I would impress that upon you. That's what you. That's really what you. You should understand about this. Is this is a new 
economy that, that we are building. It's not that everybody has a seat at the table. It's that really there is a whole new table, a whole new set of tools that will enable a new egalitarian era of wealth that is created by the people. Um, it goes back to what I said earlier about Web 1, 2, 3. It is a new era of the Internet where you will truly be able to own what you create from your information to your assets. Um, and one day it will be easier to use. So for now, learning about it is good. Talking about it is good. You won't have to be a techie or an investor to benefit. I love it. And then I wanted to offer folks one thing. For folks who are curious and want to get involved, um, I have created an NFT collection just for listeners of this show. I have made an NFT called a proof of attendance protocol. This is a type of NFT that I would encourage everyone to check out. P-O-A-P, POAP. That's what proof of attendance protocol's acronym is. It's free to create. It's free to claim. And all kinds of people can use this in their day-to-day -day lives. Um, it is like way better than a coupon or an email. Imagine if you were a restaurant and instead of you know asking for someone's email address, Every time they spent $20 with you, you gave them an NFT and you had their digital wallet address and you could send them these unforgeable coupons for future visits. You could go into the blockchain and look at a glance and see, oh, Anna loves my restaurant. She's the, the customer who has the most of my POAPs. Didn't cost me a darn thing. It gave you something that you loved. If I airdropped you another NFT where you could get a meal for free, you could turn around and sell it because you were going to be out of town. You could make money. I could make money. Everybody would be happy. It's a way to do what we already do better, building relationships, creating identities, stories, et cetera. So to get your PO app, what you got to do, all it takes is an email address. You can send me a message on any of the platforms I mentioned before, uh, Twitter at Evan Mann. You can email me at conversationswithevan at gmail.com and just say the word kindness. Say, hey, I want my free NFT, kindness. The secret word is kindness, whatever. And I'll send you a link back where for no cost, no risk, you can claim your first NFT um, and start collecting and see what it's all about and get some exposure to a digital world that uh, I promise you is, is a lot of fun and will have a lot of benefit for you. I love it. I love the, the secret word is kindness. That makes kindness. me happy too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so one last question. Go for it. What does being a Memphian mean to you in one word? One word? Yeah. <laughs> it can be a hyphenate. <laughs> a phrase. What does it mean to me in one word? Um, wow. Human. Or maybe illusion. I, I very much see myself as a citizen of the world. Okay. And I believe all the distances we create, distances of I am this, you are that, he is not like me, she is like me are illusions. I think that at its best, Memphis is a community that recognizes this, that I can look in the eyes of my brother and my sister who speaks a different language, who is older or younger, who came from a different place, whose lived experience looks nothing like mine, and I can recognize in them a shared humanity and say, oh, you are just like me. And that though we are Memphians, we are human. And, uh, it takes all of us to, to, to band together to, to create um, a wonderful world. You know, we are in heaven if only we would turn and recognize it. I love it. Yay. Well, you did rise to the occasion, so Thank good you. job. I appreciate that. I'm sorry. I know I dragged you all over the place. No. I hope it wasn't too chaotic for your listeners. I, um, 
I know it's I know it's a lot. It's like learning this stuff can be like drinking from a fire hose, you know. But like I said before, one day everybody drives a car to the store, and the fact that they are not a mechanic doesn't hinder their ability to say, "Oh, here are two or three things that make a good car, and I can operate one." Blockchain, crypto, NFTs. Mechanics like me are working on it so that one day you can drive your car to the grocery store and enjoy the benefit of it. Um, I love it. And I just appreciate the opportunity to share. Well, I appreciate that as a listener and as an Embark alum that you shared this idea with us um, for us to know that you were our go-to person to help us learn and help hopefully educate our listeners along the way. So thank you very much. It's truly my pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye, Anna. Bye. Level Up. Join New Memphis as we present the first ever Level Up Mid-South Leadership Summit on August 26th. During this full-day conference, develop your abilities, learn how you can give back to your community, and educate yourself on the crucial issues Memphis faces. You'll also have the unique opportunity to meet with local organizations on-site. Level Up by purchasing your tickets today at newmemphis.org events. Wow, listeners, I mean, I'm just going to let you marinate on everything that we talked about today because I know some of you are probably still scratching your heads and wishing that I would have gone a little bit deeper on certain topics. I know I still had a ton of questions left to ask, but maybe we can have a follow-up with Evan in the next year to kind of see how things are progressing in the terms of blockchain and cryptocurrency. But before I let you go, I did want to let you know that... It is not too late to grab tickets for our Level Up Mid-South Leadership Summit, which will be held on August 26th. Head over to newmemphis.org slash events to grab your ticket for that. And we are a local nonprofit. So all of the examples that Evan used today, we will be looking into in the future. And we are very excited to explore in the future, probably the distant future, dear listener. But um, in that same vein, we are welcoming any donations here as a local leadership development nonprofit. We are excited about all of the opportunities for the talent and the people of New Memphis, and we are excited to continue activating and developing them. So your, we are powered by your donations and by the donations of our funders and our supporters and partners, and I would encourage you to be one of those. And until next week, bye. This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.